0: Father, we ask so that you would guide us as we go through um, your word today. Lord, that you would speak to us. Um, Lord, help us to, to be attentive to that which you want to say to us, Lord. Um, you say, Lord, that your word is, is alive and it is active. And I pray, Lord, that it would be exactly that uh, in this time that we get to spend together, Jesus. And so bless our time um, and guide our time. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Everybody loves a good underdog story. Oh yeah, I get, if you need a Bible, raise your hand and we'll get a Bible to you. I always forget that. But we all, we all love good underdog stories, right? Whether it's a sports or films, we love it. It can be Rocky movies, it can be a bottom division team knocking out a top flight Premier League team. Whatever it is, um, we are often drawn to those kind of stories. And when we see these mismatches, we often describe it as a David versus Goliath situation, right? How many times? I hear all the time in sport. Oh, this is a David-Goliath scenario, a David and Goliath match. And it's amazing how this event uh, that took place thousands of years ago is still spoken about today. Um, And yet um, we see, yet we can so easily miss, I think, what Christ is ultimately trying to teach us through this event, because this is there's more to David and Goliath than simply the bigger they come, the harder the harder they fall. There's a much deeper message than that, and this is what we're going to be looking at today, and as we go through it, I want you to realize that the main character, the main purpose and the main point of this story is not going to be us it's not going to be even David to a certain degree, but rather it's going, to be, it's going to be God himself. And just like the whole of scripture, it's all talking about Jesus. It's all about God. He is the main character. And last week, if you remember, we saw the young shepherd boy, David anointed as king. We were reminded that God sees things differently than we do. He has, he has a much greater vision uh, where we look on the surface God looks at the heart. And we saw this. We read this in, in last week in 1 Samuel chapter 16, 7, where it says this, But the Lord said to Samuel, and this is when Samuel and Samuel has, basically David's brothers are brought before Samuel, and this is before, Samuel's, before David comes along. And he, Samuel sees the first son, the eldest son, Eliab, and he thinks, man, this guy... Just by looking at him, Samuel's like, this guy's the man. This guy's king material. He's got it written all over him, Lord. Surely this is the guy. And then the Lord turns around to Samuel and says to him, "says this." but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And that was the main theme that we looked at last week. And continuing on at our look at the life of this shepherd boy, David, we're we now going to turn our attention to one of his greatest triumphs. Certainly, I think, one of his most well-known triumphs, which is the defeating of Goliath. And the people of Israel, we're going to see, will be overcome with fear because of the towering outward appearance of Goliath. Um, but this isn't what God sees, and once again, God wants to show us more about himself as we explore these events. So if you have a Bible, please turn to First Samuel chapter 17, which is where we're going to be today, and First Samuel chapter 17, and we're going to, instead of reading through it all at once, we're going to literally just do it bit by bit, kind of taking it apart. It's quite a few verses, so um, let's, let's have a look. As we go through this. So First Samuel 17 and verse 1 to 3 says this. Now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle and were gathered at Socor, which belongs to Judah. They encamped between Socor and Azekar in Ephes Damim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and they encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on a mountain on one side and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side with a valley between them. The enemy has arrived. And once again, the Philistines have drawn up battle lines against Israel. And this is not the first time that Israel have had confrontation with the Philistines. But rather, they are a... A repeated adversary. Uh, one commentator explains it this way. that He says this: the Philistines were the primary adversaries of Israel roughly between uh, 1200 and 1000 BC. And unlike the Hebrew people, they they worshipped a completely different god. And not only that, but they were they were more tech technologically. That's a really hard word to say. Technologically. More techn— you know what I'm saying? More technically advanced. There we go. Than the Hebrews, having learned the art of working with iron tools and weapons. Um, essentially, the Philistines were a formidable enemy. And when I talk about they were more technologically advanced, I'm getting there. It does not mean that they had like iPads and computers and stuff anything like that. But rather, they were. They, they, they had learned the art of working with iron tools and weapons. Their weaponry was, in general, better than the Israelites. They had an advantage. And then if the odds were already maybe not looking in their favour just to begin with, we then read that a champion comes out and his name is Goliath. Next verse, verse 4 says this, And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines, named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. Though I will come back to that in a a second. He had a bronze helmet on his head and he was armed with a coat of mail and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armour on his legs and a bronze javelin between his shoulders. Now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam and his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels, and a shield-bearer went before him. Goliath was literally a, a giant of a man. Now, the, the height it gives a six cubits and a span, uh, which most people think it was roughly coming to a height of around about nine and a half feet. So imagine that. Think about it. I'm roughly six foot, I think. I'm roughly six foot. So imagine another half of me added on top and from what, from the text it doesn't sound like this guy was like skinny either. He wasn't like really slim guy. It sounds like he was pretty pretty built as well. So imagine it, this guy who well, a bit higher than that. This huge guy, absolutely not only is he huge, but he's also kitted out with all this armour, with all this weaponry, which is much more advanced than the average Israelite would have. And this towering figure, he emerges from the camp and he begins to shout at the Israelite army. On the other side. As you can tell, he doesn't have anything nice and pleasant to say. This is what he says in verse 8. Then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we might fight together. See, a common custom at the time was to appoint a champion, somebody who would fight on your behalf. And the opposing armies would essentially select their best fighter to represent them in a one-on-one battle to the death. And the, the winner determines the outcome of the battle. And one reason for this is, it kind of makes sense, it kind of avoids your whole army engaging in a battle and the potential kind of suffering or mass casualties as a result. And so Goliath comes out, he lays down this challenge, he lays down this demand he demands that Israel send out a fighter to engage him in battle. But as we'll see next, nobody is willing to accept the call. It says this in verse 11, When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. It is often... the moments of hardship that our true character, our true heart is revealed and Saul, who at this point still sits on the throne as king, he may have the physical stature of a king but now as he faces a fighter even bigger than himself, Saul is overcome with fear. And we will see this multiple times throughout his reign, that he will be overcome and he will be governed by the fear of others. Whether that be fearing what his own people will think, whether that will be fearing the Philistines, whether that be even later on fearing David eventually, fearing that David will eventually come to the throne. There's many different moments that he is governed by the fear of others. In his mind, Goliath is big, And God is small. We don't read that Saul turns to God at all in this moment. But it isn't just Saul, it is the rest of the army too. Israel fall back in fear, unable to overcome the giant that is before them. And it's going to be into this setting that David is going to step in says this in, in verse 12. Now David was the son of that Ephorite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse and who had eight sons. And the man was old, advanced in years, in the days of Saul. The three eldest sons of Jesse had gone to follow Saul to the battle. The names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and next to him Abinadab and the third Shemal And David was the youngest and the three three oldest followed Saul. But David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. So the three oldest sons who we've been introduced last week to, are the three oldest sons, so David's three elder brothers, have been called up to the front lines. And it would appear that the others the other brothers have not been called and it's most likely due to them being too young. Now, the book of Numbers tells us the minimum age for a listing in the Israeli army. It says this in Numbers 1 verse 3, From 20 years old and upward, all in Israel who are able to go to war, you and Aaron shall list them company by company. This being the case would mean that Essentially the four remaining brothers that were older than David, so you've got the three oldest brothers, and you've got four other brothers, and then you've got David, so eight all together. So that would mean that the four remaining brothers would have been under the age of twenty, which is putting David. David could have only have, have been in his sort of early to mid-teens. He he would have just been a, a teenager. And during this point, at the end of the previous chapter which we didn't look at last week. But at that point, in those verses, it shows us that at that point, David was appointed as a musician in Saul's court, but he continued to return home at times to look after the sheep. And little did he know that it would be those years of walking with God, those years of trusting God in the pasture, as a shepherd, that would prepare him to fight a giant. The author then draws our attention back to the front lines again. It says this in, in verse 16. And the Philistine drew near and presented himself 40 days, morning and evening. For 40 days, for 40 days and nights, Goliath continues to walk out and challenge the Israelite army. Yet each day the same response. Overcome with fear no one would dare face him. And it's going to take a small shepherd boy with nothing but his face to change everything. Verse 17 says this, And then Jesse said to his son, David, Take now for your brothers an ether of this dried grain, and then these ten loaves, and run to your brothers at the camp. And carry these ten cheeses to the captain and their thousand, and see how your brothers fare, and bring back news of them. Jesse, the dad, sends David to the front line to bring food for his brother, but he also wants them to check. He wants them, He wants, them, he, wants them, he wants David to check up on them, like any father. Jesse's worried about his sons. I mean, imagine that. Your own your own son's having to go to the front line. Any parent is going to be worried about them. I know my own dad, he tells me I go out, pretty much any time I go out of the house to be careful. He's like, you be careful, son. Like, okay, dad, yes, I know, I know. But it's not like, you know, imagine going to war. You know, I, kind of, I sometimes joke about, with my mum sometimes, hey mum, you know, maybe I should enlist in the army. And she's like, no, you are never enlisting in the army. It's not going to happen. I'm like, wow, mum, I've never seen you so passionate as this. But, um, Parents parents love their kids and obviously war is dangerous because in general, as we know, war is where we lose lives. And, And Jesse is naturally worried about his older son, so he sends David to the front line. And we read this in verse 19. It says this, Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And so David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with a keeper, And took the things and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the camp as the army was going out to fight and shouting for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array, army against army. And David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper, ran to the army and came and greeted his brothers. So David, he leaves the sheep in capable hands. He heads to the front lines and as he arrives, both armies are set up for battle yet again. The standoff continues and then while greeting his brothers, Goliath comes out yet again. Verse 23 to 24 says this, Then as he talked with them, there was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines and he spoke according to to the same words, so David heard them, and all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. David hears the challenge of Goliath yet again. And we must mean Goliath has got persistency, hasn't he? He keeps coming out day after day, saying the same thing, the same challenge. And it appears that each time the Israelites are cowering in fear. They're running away afraid. And David now sees all this. David hears the challenge of Goliath. David sees this giant of a man and he sees the people, his people, run away in fear. And this is what the men of Israel begin to say amongst themselves. In verse 25, it says this. So all the men of Israel, when they saw the man... Oh, so that's 24. Twenty five, I mean. There we go. So the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel, and it shall be that the man who kills him, the king, will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter, and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. So, you see that Saul himself, you've got, love, you've got to love this, Saul himself, not willing to step up, not willing to be the king that he really should be, instead offers a reward. And he says, hey, whoever, whoever defeats this giant of man, not only am I going to give riches, not only am I going to give them one of my daughters, not only, but only that they're, they're going to be exempt from taxes. And yet, still despite that, nobody is convinced. <laughs> that, is, that incentive is put before them and nobody takes it. And then we read, This takes place because David then begins to ask and question the men among them. And he says says this in verse 26. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in this manner, saying, So shall it be done for the man who kills him. To defeat Goliath will not just mean victory for the army and for the nation, but even more than that, it will mean the removal of reproach against Israel. Now, the, the word reproach is not one that we tend to use Every day. And the word in the original Hebrew means or can be translated as disgrace or shame. Shame has been brought upon Israel. They have been disgraced. And yet, if someone was to fight on their behalf, if someone was to defeat the enemy that stood before them, their shame and their disgrace would be taken away. Keep that in mind as we think about that theme a bit later on. But David, he's not only thinking about the reputation of Israel, but ultimately he's thinking about God. He is concerned for both the people of God, but then also the name of God. In David's mind, God is big and Goliath is small. His view of God outweighs his view of God. Of Goliath. Instead of being afraid of Goliath, he's shot. That somebody as small as Goliath would dare try and step up to God. And it is uh, ultimately it reminds us that those and this whole story, in, in kind of reminds us that those who stand opposed to God will one day be humbled. One day, every knee will bow before. Him, All those who unfortunately walk this life in defiance of God or walk in the sense... You know, have you ever heard people say, oh, if there really is a God, well, I hope I get to meet him one day because I'll give him a piece of my mind. You know, or I'll question God, or I'll put God on trial. And you're like, whoa, you don't understand who it is you are talking about and you do not understand how terrifying that day will be if your heart does not change when you do get to meet him face to save. It seems like out of all these men, David is the only one willing to speak up. He's the only one willing to say something, and this begins word of this begins to spread, and first of all it spreads to his other brothers. It says this in verse twenty eight. Now Eliab his oldest brother heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, Why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the influence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Hey, siblings, you ever, ever had to say that to your other brothers and sisters? What have I done now? And he says this, Is there not a cause? Verse 30, Then he turned from him toward another and said the same thing. And these people answered him, as the first ones did. And as I say, as this talk from David, this, it draws attention from one of his brothers, and that's his eldest brother Eliab. He becomes angered by David talking to the men. And the specific reason is not necessarily clear. I mean, maybe he's jealous. I mean, as we kind of briefly looked at last week, essentially, he got overlooked for being anointed as king and had to watch his youngest little brother get anointed. And now, come on, if you have siblings and you saw your younger sibling being anointed as king instead of you, I think, well, I know, I'd be pretty jealous. So maybe that's, that's some of the motivation. We're not too sure. But whatever the reason, it doesn't seem like the first time. Um, but David doesn't seem to let this stop him. David isn't there just to see a battle. He isn't there just to see a fight. But rather, he's there to look in on his brothers. But now... As he sees what's going on, he himself is willing to speak up because what he sees around him is not right. And not only does the word of David's talk spread to Eliab, but it then ultimately spreads to Saul. David is talking in such a way that people are noting, and it's not long before Saul hears as well. It says this in verse 31. Now, when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul, and he sent for him. And then, I love this bit, then David said to Saul, so this is David, teenage David, standing before the king of Israel, and he says this to him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. This small shepherd boy stands before the king and says, do not be afraid, I will go, I will fight him. I can't, when I think of this, I can't help but think of, and I haven't, I haven't mentioned Lord of the Rings in a, recent, a sermon recently, so it's around about time I mentioned it, but I just can't help think of that scene in the first Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring, right? When they say, who's going to take the ring He's going to destroy the ring, right? And all the adults, all, well not, well, all the kind of men and the elves and the dwarves, they're all arguing amongst themselves. And you see this tiny little hobbit stand up. And nobody can even hear him at first. He says, I'll go. I will go. And they all look and they all look, turn and they're completely shocked that this little creature has the courage to go on this epic quest. And I can't help but have this same sort of image here. You see this, ta- remember, Saul is a tower of a figure. I mean, he physically looks like a king. And before him is this, this little sh- this shepherd boy, this teenager. And Saul, who has this stature of a king, and yet not the heart of one there, sees <laughs> the complete opposite. He has this, this David, this stature of a boy, but who has the heart of a king. Here is this shepherd boy stepping forward where this king would not. And as I say, Saul may have had the physical stature of the king, or of a king, but David had the heart of one. And Saul's response is exactly what we would expect. And to be honest, it's exactly how I think we would all respond, which is this, First 33. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. For you are a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. This was a polite way of saying, David, you're crazy, you do not have a chance. The odds are completely stacked against you. He's bigger than you, he is stronger than you, he is more trained than you, he is more equipped than you. You cannot fight this man. And and think about it. Saul Saul is right. I mean, all those things that Saul is seeing and observing is right, but Saul has missed one important thing, and that is the key thing, the key difference that separates David from Goliath. And it's rather not a thing, but rather a person that makes all the difference, and that is God. We see this in the next verse, verse 34. It says this But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock. I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear and this uncircumcised philistine will be like one of them seeing he has Defied the armies of the living God. See, David looks back to his time in the pasture, whereas a shepherd boy, when the sheep were attacked by a lion and a bear, he took them down. I don't know about you, but that is something pretty impressive to put on your CV. What do you do? Hey, it's like you know, applying for new shepherd jobs, like and past experience, uh, killed a lion, killed a bear. You know, it's. <laughs> It's pretty amazing, pretty impressive. But as David remembers his past victories, what David isn't doing here, he isn't essentially bigging himself up, and we see this because of the next verse. David isn't saying, way I saw it's cool. Look at me, look at how good I am, look what I've done in the past. I can take this guy easy. But rather, as he looks back at these victories that he's had, he remembers who ultimately gave him those victories because it wasn't through his own strength says this in verse 37. Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go and the Lord be with you. It was God. It was God who gave him the victory over the lion and over the bear. David essentially looks back at God's track record and is confident that he will be rescued again. David didn't find confidence in his own ability to defeat Goliath. He found his confidence in God. He remembers God's past faithfulness. Before him, he sees a giant of a man. He sees the same Goliath that everybody else sees, but unlike the other men, he fixes his eyes higher up to the to the God above Goliath, to the God above all things. It is this God who enables him to be courageous and it will also be this God who will enable him to defeat this giant. And for those who have accepted Jesus, we all have great reason to be courageous. And it's not because... Of our own strength. And it's not because we're amazing or that the challenges that we face won't be difficult or deadly, but rather it is because of the one who goes with us. As God himself said to Joshua, as Joshua takes over for Moses, as Joshua is taking over the leadership of a whole nation, God says to him, one of my favourite passages, he says this to him, God speaking to Joshua in Joshua 1 verse 9. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. As Joshua stands on this... (laughs) This huge task of having to lead this nation, not just lead this nation, but lead this nation into the promised land where they will have to. They will have to dispose the nations that are already there. He faced this giant task in front of him. And God does not either, A, say, be strong and courageous because you yourself are strong, and e, B, doesn't say, be strong and courageous because that which you're about to face is not difficult. But rather, he says, no, be strong and courageous because. I am God and I am the one who goes with you. I am the one with you wherever you go. And this is the same courage and this is the same confidence, and this is the same faith that David has. And you've got to love how Saul sends him off, right? Go and the Lord be with you. And you can imagine what Saul is thinking, he's like, Go and, yep, I'm going to need to find a new musician because this guy's not going to make it. And uh, this is what we read next in verse In verse 38. We read this. So Saul clothed David with his armour and he put a bronze helmet on his head. He also clothed him with a coat of mail. And David fastened his sword to his armour and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot kind of walk with these, for I have not tested them. So David took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook, and put them in a shepherd's bag, in a pouch which he had, and his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. Saul gives David his armor, he tries it on, but as we could quickly tell it it doesn't quite fit uh, so David now enters the battle without any physical armor two armies one on either side after 40 days finally see someone step forward from Israel but it is a boy without any armor imagine that here are these two armies on either side And for 40 days they've been coming together and Goliath has been going forward with his challenge and then finally, after waiting all these days, all these days and nights, finally somebody steps forward and to their shock and dismay, I think on both sides, it is a small shepherd boy without any armour. It says this in verse 41. So the Philistine came... And began drawing near to David, and the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and good-looking. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Goliath can't quite believe what he's seeing. This small shepherd boy has come out to fight him. The mismatch is clearly seen by everyone. Everybody is in no doubt that Goliath has the upper hand in every way. Goliath, I think, he kind of feels personally slighted by this because like is this the best you could conjure up i mean really and then goliath begins to curse and mock david and we can all imagine the kind of things that that would have entailed and what he would have been saying but all of this takes place david think about it. david has stepped forward from the army behind him and now goliath has come forward now it's one thing beforehand him saying, okay, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this, but now, now he's actually going to have to follow through on what he said. Now he actually stands before this giant and now he can see the towering figure. He's right up and close now with Goliath. And here's Goliath insulting him and cursing him. And yet, David will not let this stop him. David refuses to run away, but rather he stands. And not only does he stand, but he then says this to Goliath in verse 45. So then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. David steps forward and speaks. And he says, hey, there is something far greater than you, Goliath, greater than all of your weaponry, greater than all of your strength. And that is the name of God, the Lord, the master of all things, whom you have stood against whom you have blasphemed. And then he continues, verse 46. He says this, This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. It is God and not David who will defeat Goliath. David makes it extremely clear that he will not defeat Goliath through his own strength, but he's going to do it through God. It is not his battle to fight, it is God's battle. And now David gives us the reason why. He gives us the reason, in essence, why this event took place. Why God would send a shepherd boy to defeat a giant. And it is for this reason, it is so that all the earth, that everyone would know that there is, not, there is a God in Israel and that this God is alive. And it was also to show the Israelites, those hiding in fear, that the God of Israel saves. His salvation goes far deeper and is far greater than that of a sword and a shield. You see, when we, when we should come away from this, reading this event, this historical event, we should come away reading this not primarily thinking how great David is, but rather how great God is. From this, this event in which God acts, in, God, in which God intervenes, He wants you and He wants me to know that he is both real, that he is both alive, and that he is able to save. It says this in the next verse, in in verses 48. It says this, So it was, when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Then David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword and drew it out of its sheath, and killed him, and cut off his head with it, and when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. The battle is literally over in a flash. David takes takes down Goliath with one swing of a stone. And then taking his very taking Goliath's very own sword, he cuts off his head just as he said he would. Man that's the favorite favorite part of any kid's, you know, kid's time in ministry. It's like, oh what? He springed this thing at Goliath, took him down, and then he cut off his head. And there is no doubt to everyone around that Goliath has been defeated. I mean, the guy is not just dead. He's like dead, dead. There is no coming back from this. There's no mistaking this. There's no thinking, oh, maybe he got hit by a stone and was made unconscious. There's none of that. This guy is without a doubt, completely destroyed, dead. He is, he is never coming back. The Philistine Goliath is completely and utterly defeated. And the Philistines watch. The Philistines watch as their champion, this guy who they had put their hopes in for all those 40 days they were bigging themselves up, being like, man, we've got this Goliath, man, he's going to take down whoever comes forward for Israel. They're afraid of us, they're terrified of us. They put all their hopes in this Goliath and they find that he was not strong enough to defeat the God of Israel. And then on the other side of the battle line we see Israel's despair turn to joy and their fear turns to celebration as they see David, they see this shepherd boy fighting and winning on their behalf. The rest of Israel didn't even lift a finger. The giant was completely taken down for them and all of this was possible through the God of Israel, the God who is real, the God who is alive, and the God who saves. And now just in, in closing, let's briefly look at some of the application from this and how we apply this to our lives as we look at this. What is God seeking to teach us through this? I think one thing first we're going to look at is this is and this is I, do, I don't think this is by any means the the main focus or point of the text. David but but rather this we see here and I don't think as i say, I don't think this is the main thing that Jesus wants us to take away from this but it certainly is a part of it. David is certainly an example for us to aspire to. You know, God wants us to become men with the same, the same kind of faith as David. And you just look at Hebrews 11, in the New Testament, the great hall of faith, where it lists out all these men and women of, of faith throughout the Bible, throughout all the years of history. And it begins, in verse 1 to 2, it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it... The people of old received their commendation. The people of old were, were, were commended for their faith, of which David is mentioned. It says this in 30, verse thirty two of Hebrews of the Hebrews eleven, coming to the end of that hall of faith, it says this, and what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah of David, and Samuel and the prophets. Who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. You see, it it was through faith that David was victorious. But it wasn't just faith in and of itself, but rather it's faith in God. It is not merely about having faith, but rather about who you place that faith in. Because we all have a level of faith, but the question is, a level of trust, who are we going to put that in? What are we going to put that in? Will it be God or will it be somebody or something else? Will it be ourselves? Would it be people I know who? Will we put our faith and trust in? And to give us an example, even from this very story, I'm pretty sure Goliath had plenty of faith. He had plenty of trust. It just wasn't in God. It wasn't in the God of Israel, the true living God, but rather Goliath seems like Goliath's trust was in himself. Goliath's trust was in the false gods that the Philistines worshipped. The question we must always ask ourselves is this, who are you choosing to place your faith in? Who are you choosing to put your trust in? The story of David and Goliath is is a call to put our faith and trust in God because he is the one who is able to save. But above the good example that David is to us in this story. I don't think that is the main purpose of what God is trying to teach us here. And, 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 and what I love with scripture is we read, we read these accounts and not only are they historical, but even through God acting into history, he wants to teach us things. And so often we see in these accounts that they are ultimately pointing us to Jesus. That they are ultimately pointing us to him. Because the problem is, especially when we come to the account of David, we can often end up leaving this story thinking about how great David is and forgetting how great God is. And remember what I said before, that God, through this event, wants to let us know that he's real, that he is alive, that he is able to save. And it is this act of salvation that we see here for Israel that reminds us, it's like a foreshadow of the greater salvation to come because the danger we often fall in when reading this story story is we often put ourselves in the place of David right we often identify ourselves with David and we try to make ourselves out to be the hero and we may say something along the lines of all you need is courage and faith like David and you too can defeat the giants of your life and we're like boom that's done story's over let's go home but rather I don't think that is the main point from the story at all. Yes, David is a good example. Yes, we're called to have courage and yes, we're called to have faith. But I don't think that's mainly what's going on here. Because you see, I don't think you and me are like heroic David but rather I think we are like the rest of Israel, fearfully hiding... In the corner. Think of it this way, right? The story of David and Goliath is essentially this. If you were to sum up the story, it is about a people who face a giant so big and terrifying, they are both unable and unwilling to fight him. And as a result, their enemy has brought shame and reproach upon them, and trembling in fear, they await someone to step forward and to fight on their behalf. And it is after 40 days that the shepherd boy David steps forward and fights on their behalf. He defeats the giant on their behalf. I can't help but look at this story and be reminded of the gospel. Because the Bible tells us that there is a far greater giant than Goliath, and that giant is sin. It is sin and death. And we face this giant of sin and death, and we, like Israel, cower away in fear, unable to take down this huge giant that is before us. And we await somebody who will represent us, somebody who will fight on our behalf. The truth is when we look at this, this, this narrative, we are like Israel and Jesus is like David. Jesus is our greater David, our greater shepherd, who when we face this giant of sin, Jesus would come and fight on our behalf. He would come and take down this giant who we were unable to take down, who we were unwilling to take down. And as Jesus does so, as Jesus defeats the giant of our sin and our shame, the giant of death, we see that just like with Israel, our shame, our reproach is taken away. And just like Goliath and how he mocks David, because on the surface he just sees weakness and failure, and we see at the cross, that the, the Pharisees and those around mock Jesus because what they see in the service, they see weakness, they see failure, and, that, and yet what Jesus is doing in that very moment, he is defeating the very Goliath we never could. He is dying on a cross for our sin so that he's taken on the punishment that we deserved. He's putting sin, our greater giant, to death so that we could be free. So that we could receive victory, and ultimately that 's how the story ends. It ends with the army of Israel gaining victory when they did not even lift us even they, they didn 't even lift a finger. their victory was won on their behalf, and that was through jesus and Jesus wins our victory on our behalf, and that 's all done through the cross so in closing, yes, we should desire to become men like David who have a heart after the things of God, who have a heart that trusts him, who have a heart that's willing to step forward and be courageous when he calls us to. But when we look at this story, may we always be reminded that Jesus is our greater David who fights and gives us victory, who defeats that giant of sin on our behalf. And it is because Jesus has done that. It's because Jesus has defeated the ultimate giant that we are now equipped to face the little giants of life. Yes, we will face difficulties, and that can be a host of things. It can be it can be relational, as in we have relationships which it can be moments where we sin against others, when people sin against us. It can be trying to overcome a repeated sin in our lives. It can be physical illness. It can be a, a multitude of different difficulties that we face. And yet, because Jesus has killed the ultimate giant of sin and death, we now can face the smaller giants of life. When we get an illness, we can go to God and be like, Lord, and ask him to heal us. And even if he doesn't heal us, we can be confident because he's already defeated the ultimate giant of death and sin. It can be struggling with... Unemployment, and we're looking for a job. We're looking for where I'm trying to find a career. I'm trying to, I'm trying to do life. I mean, it's it's, this constant struggle, and yet we look to the cross of like, You know what? Jesus has defeated my ultimate sin. He's taken away my ultimate shame, and I trust Him that He can even use this difficulty for a purpose. It can be relationships when we see that uh, there has been a disconnect in a relationship, a friendship you once had, but because of sin, it is now separated. And yet we look to Jesus, so we say, Jesus, thank you for giving me for my sin. And thank you, Lord, that you can even heal me now and comfort me now as I seek to move forward. And even hope that you can bring about reconciliation if you choose to do so. As we look to this, put yourself in Israel and, and in the place of Israel and remember who Jesus is. And as a result, come to Jesus in gratitude and thanksgiving. Because we are not the hero, but rather he is. And when we begin to realise that he is not just our hero for all eternity, but he's our hero now, that gives us the ability to, to walk through the difficulties of life with joy and with hope. Jesus is our greater David. Jesus is our greater shepherd Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you. Lord, forgive us for the moments where we try and make ourselves the hero of the story. But rather thank you for reminding us, all that you are our hero. Lord, we are more like the Israelites than we are David in this story, Lord. That we were in a place of fear and shame, unable to, to rescue or save ourselves and you step in and we want to thank you, Jesus, that you have conquered sin and death once and for all. And Lord, help us to realise that it is what you did on the cross that gives us the joy and the ability to face the hardships and difficulties of life. Lord, we want to thank you, Lord, for, for, for choosing to act into history, Lord. That you would choose to to you you would choose to be present in the moments of history. You'd be affecting the moments of history. That reminds us of that and you still do the same today. That you're not just distant and just watching things play out, but rather you are an active part of the world you created. And we want to thank you for that, Father. Lord we want to thank you Lord, that through this story, Lord, and every time we think of this story, which we become so familiar with, Lord, may we remember that the main purpose is that we would know, God, that you are real. That we would know, God, that you are alive. And that we would know, God, that you are able to save. So, Lord, in our day-to-day lives, may we turn to you. May we put our trust and our faith in you, and experience you as the ultimate hero and shepherd of our lives. So Lord, help us to live out these things, increase our faith in you, Father. And even today, Lord, bring this joy and contentment that comes through knowing you as our ultimate hero, as the greater David come to save us from our sin, Jesus. We want to thank you. Lord, bless the rest of our day. In your name we pray. Amen.